Hi, I'm Alan Altman. And I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. You're a really nice guy, and I'm happy to be your roommate and your friend. I'm just, you know, I just don't feel that way about you. Oh, I see what happened. <laughs> it's because I was trying to repel you, right? Believe me, you'd feel a lot different if I turned it on. I don't think so. Oh, I do. How you doing? I'm okay. What? Oh, oh dear God! Welcome to Billy Joel A to Z. Well, the album The Bridge is over, and we resume our countdown to the Z's as we continue our tea songs with today's completely little known, never discussed, off the radar, true little ditty entitled This Night. I can't tell you how many times I've been calling it This Time from Brian Adams. One I don't of my know favorite that song. songs. No, nobody does except me. I mean, are you sitting out there like Alan and I were saying, okay, next episode is this night, and we're both like, what, uh, huh? I mean, how many of you knew this was even off an innocent man? I sure didn't. Perhaps because it's the fourth song on the first side and sandwiched in between the mega hits the longest time and tell her about it. It was released as a single. Wait, it was, Dave? Yes, it was, but only in, you guessed it, Japan. <laughs> Here, it was released on July 7th, 1984, but only as a B-side to leave a tender moment alone. As are all his songs on An Innocent Man, This Night is an homage to or an homage to Little Anthony and the Imperials, whoever the hell they are. This song actually does appear as the final song on the 2000 Years of the Millennium concert album, even though the actual concert itself ended with Souvenir and Piano Man. It's not on the Greatest Hits Volume 3, but how's that possible after going to number 88 in Japan? <laughs> Alan, before we get to the rankings, have you ever heard of this song before? And if not, did it ring a bell when you listened to it while preparing for the episode? Well, yeah, I've heard of it because I've heard the Innocent Man album. So, you know, like most of our listeners, we've heard of this song. Like you said, it's not a hit. Um, and it does ring a bell because when you hear it, you're like, that chorus sounds so familiar. 
Well, that's true. The chorus sounded familiar, but for me, I feel like I've never heard this song in my life. I mean, seriously, I put it on. I'm like, I don't remember this at all. And I know I've played that Innocent Man album multiple times, but I don't know what happened in between there. And maybe it is because it's sandwiched in between the hits. I didn't remember it at all. And it's probably because as soon as it starts, I'm like, this is the worst kind of music for me. And then it is Billy Joel. And when he gets to that part, that chorus that you're going to, we're going to talk about in a second, it's fantastic. Let's just quickly, as long, you know, since we're here, uh, go to the rankings before we begin, as we often do. We have a pretty diverse ranking listing today. What do you suppose Christopher Bonanos puts this song that nobody remembers out of 121 songs? See, I think it's a pretty good song, but I think Bananos will ding it for the fact that it's got the Beethoven chorus. So it's not fully a Billy Joel song and Billy admits that. So I'm just going to go somewhere kind of in the middle. I'm going to say 69. Boy, you are good in every way except for the number that you came up with. He puts it at 95 out of 121. But you are you were right on the exact right level of what the way he was thinking a strong vocal performance on a mostly excellent album, but borrowing the Beethoven pathetic. Uh, yeah, I don't know how to say it, but I like that's how I say it. Well, it's kind of funny because it looks like it says pathetic for what he's uh, saying, but borrowing the Beethoven pathetic for a melodic line was a terrible idea. It reads, reads like a pointless play for respectability, and it weighs down the already somewhat leaden lyrics. So you were completely right of why he dislikes this song, but you didn't give it enough credit of how much he really dislikes it. Glenn Gamboa put it at 58, and the fans rank it at 48, which, yeah, I guess that's where about it belongs. You know, it's uh, a song for me. I don't like this kind of genre. I don't like this kind of music, but when he gets to that chorus, it works for me. I don't know whether I'd ever listen to it again, but I do enjoy that chorus. It gives me a little Christmas time feel to it as we record this around that time of the year, maybe. And it's a very interesting song. And I think it's the only song on the album that is what it, what the album was set out to be. I mean, it's real 50s. Oh, I think a lot. I mean, I think the whole album has 50s in it. I don't know why you'd say this is the only one that really hits that 50s. Because this is the only one that maybe sounds like a 50 songs, whereas the other ones, he put his own current time 80s spin on it. Not, Not 80s, but you know what I mean. More of a current flow. And this one sounds like it's right out of. And the only example I have, of course, is from the movie Grease in that middle section where they used every shot on us saying, you know, a medley of 50 songs, including, uh, I believe, the one that this is based off of uh, Tears on My Pillow, right? Yeah, I don't know if that's in Greece, but I, I'll believe you on that. 
I see what you're saying. Yeah, this one is definitely like right in that 50s wheelhouse. There doesn't seem to be any kind of 80s thing to it. And there were other songs in that period of time that would take like a classical song and sort of re- rework it the way he's doing here. But I agree with you. I think the song, and I like doo-wop, you know that. I'm, I'm into Billy's doo-wop stuff. But the lyrics, the verses are pretty boring, not remarkable. And then you get to the chorus, this big soaring vocal, which is really catchy and really nice. And that makes the whole song. So I think if the fans are putting this in their top 50, they're only thinking about the chorus. And I don't think anyone cares at all about the verses. Yeah, when I saw him play this at the Garden in 2014, you know, they just had the video online. I was, you know, watching and somebody just recorded it. And I'm like, boy, they hate it nobody's paying attention and i'm like this is a horrible song to play in concert and then it gets to the chorus and i'm like "Ooh, what a great song to play in concert it really changes yeah well i think you're talking about the 2016 msg video oh 2016 okay which is a funny video actually because it's the first two minutes of it is billy joel asking the band should we play this song and the band's like we don't know that song and oh. he calls them chicken shit Oh, wow. <laughs> so there's a lot of fun banter and they basically just don't know it. So you could see David Rosenthal kind of directing the drummer and stuff like when to stop playing because there's that moment when when the verse drops out and then starts up again. Um, and then near the end, after Mark Rivera does his sax solo, but doesn't end it in the right key, Billy Joel just says, OK, we got far enough. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, this song is like he says, it's a slow dance song. So, you know, why would you want to play that in an arena? But it really does remind me, I mean, you know, which it's supposed to be right out of something they'd be dancing to and back to the future before Michael J. Fox rips it up. This night can last forever. I can picture everybody dancing to this song. Uh, certainly it, it feels like it's right out of Goodfellas soundtrack or something. It yeah, is. or um, you know, what, you know what this reminds me of also is in Superman three when he goes back to Smallville, and he's at like that school dance, and they're playing like Earth Angel. Yes, I'm right. I it's like it's he, like the high school reunion, and that's when he meets what's her name, Lana. Lana Lang, Lana Lang, yeah, yeah or uh, the, the 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 one who's married to Michael McKeon, Annette O'Toole. Is that her name? Yes. Okay, but yeah, or that kind of, this kind of fifties duop to me, I think of that scene from Superman. Or as she's known in uh, Diamonds Are Forever, Plenty O'Toole. <laughs> Hi, I'm Plenty. But of course you are. Plenty O2. Named after your father, perhaps. That's why I was saying, out of all the songs on the album, and I, I, I know what you're saying, and then you also know what I'm saying, is that this one, like, it's not changed. It doesn't have the modern spin on it. And it definitely doesn't, because then, as we know now, the chorus is credited to a Beethoven song. So it has no modern spin on it whatsoever. And of all the songs, even the longest time feels like it has some form of modern spin on it, even though it's an acapella song. And this is the one. I mean, this is the true 50s song where it's amazing that it's a brand new song. And that's what makes him a, a goddamn genius. Right. So uh, with with regard to this song, we have now found out that it is about El McPherson, which is fascinating. Doing this podcast, we found out that he wrote multiple songs for El McPherson that we all thought were about Christy Brinkley, but apparently not. They're just about hot girls. This song was written for her or about her, and it is believed that this song bought 
romance back in Billy Joel's life. Like it's a, it's a, it's technically a good happy song, even though it doesn't sound that way. But this song inspired romance back in his life, where he was able to, you know, date these unbelievable women and even get married after. I'm not going to say her name, but after the, you know, the whole event. This is it. This is this night. Maybe it was the first one written after the nylon curtain. You know, this is the one that kind of seemed to spark his happiness, his right. very short-lived happiness. Yeah, he had a nice little period here of like three years where he was a really happy dude. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, because he says that this song is about wanting to just keep things light in this relationship, just stay friends more or less. But then obviously well, that didn't happen. He got obsessed with Elle McPherson. because Well, wouldn't? apparently they were both coming off breakups. We know who he was broken up with, and apparently she was coming off a breakup. So he's like, well... I don't know what's going to happen, but, you know, we got this night and maybe we'll take it slow and figure it out. Yeah, she was breaking up with her high school boyfriend. I'm Is that assuming true? I'm assuming because she was 19 years old. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably some creepy photographer. Yeah, of course. I would hope. <laughs> was she really? Ni- she was 19 at the time. She was 19 and Christy Brinkley was 29. So Billy Joel went with the more mature. Oh, choice. I didn't know that. Did you know? Because I did not know this, that. L. McPherson and him were living together at cent- in Central Park West at a, at a place in Central Park somewhere. Christy Brinkley kicked her out. Like, I mean, he started dating Christy and he goes, yeah, you got to get out. She's going to be pissed. Like, something like that. Like, Yeah, yeah. No, that's a story that like Christy showed up one day and L was up there or vice versa. Like, so there was definitely uh, some kind of three's company situation going on. That's a hell of a three's company situation going on. That is that's having, I guess it would be like the equivalent of Suzanne Summers and Terry being, you know, the, the people. Joyce DeWitt would not be there. Yeah, Joyce DeWitt plays <laughs> his first wife, Elizabeth. There you go. <laughs> now that's a show. And, and that's uh, good. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, her brother, was it Frank? That could be, uh, we'll, we'll have Norman Fell play him. <laughs> and I can play Larry. Or we'll Perfect. just get the actual Larry who's friends with us. So <laughs> Yeah, we'll get the real Larry. Larry plays Liberty DeVito. (laughs) Perfect. So this song actually um, using Beethoven's La Pathétique, whatever, however you do pronounce that, someone let us know. Our French listeners, please let us know. It's not the first song that used that piece of music. There was actually a minor hit song from 1982 called Midnight Blue by Louise Tucker. No, no, no. Wait, by who? Louise Tucker. That's weird because when you said that, I was like, I play Midnight Blue all the time, but it's a song by Lou Graham from 1985 or six. And I, it's in my head all the time. Midnight Blue. Jerry Red, oh, 
Because it's yes. got, I, I remember the lyrics. It goes like, um, I'm going to paint it cherry red. Like he says it twice, and it's like not, it's good the first time, and then it's stupid the second time. But so there's two songs called Midnight Blue from the 80s, you're saying. Yeah. So this Louise Tucker, she was a British opera singer who then released some songs that were like in an a 80s synth pop style, but I guess that were using like old classical music. So this one became a hit. It was called Midnight Blue. It completely sounds just like the chorus to this song because she's totally ripping off Beethoven the same way Billy Joel does. It was released in 82. It became a hit in the US in mid 83. It made it to like number 48 on the chart. So it was a minor ish hit. And then this night, you know, well, first, the album An Innocent Man wasn't released until August of 83. And it apparently was recorded in the spring of 83. So this Midnight Blue song was out already. It's possible that Billy heard that and was like, that's a great idea. So it's kind of weird that Lou Graham would make a song called Midnight Blue if you're saying the other Midnight Blue was a hit. I don't remember it. Yeah, it's I'm surprised you don't remember it, but I guess it wasn't huge. It made it to top 10 on like the adult contemporary charts on the Hot 100. It was only a top 50 song. But I will say, comparing the two songs, Billy Joel did this 100 times better than Louise Tucker did. Right. What is so great about this one Beethoven piece? And I was listening to some uh, piano guy playing the whole thing. It's like a 16-minute song. And this part is only like a small part in the middle. So you have to really know your Beethoven to pick this piece of it out. But it is great. I mean, I, I don't know whether I've heard the, the Beethoven version before, but you know, when he goes to that chorus, you don't get that Christmassy feel from it? I think anything classical kind of feels Christmassy because you picture like the Trans-Siberian Orchestra yeah, yeah, playing exactly. this. Exactly. Right. Right. That's funny. Exactly. That's that stupid Trans-Siberian Orchestra. That, and yet I want to go every year where they're like, oh, let's do that. That'll be fun. But, you know, once you're there, it'd be like, this sucks. Play that one song. <laughs> yeah. Right. Play it again. What, what's it called? Green Sleeves? <laughs> um, the one? No, it's not Green Sleeves. I don't know. What's the song that everybody loves that the Trans-Siberian Orchestra plays? I forget. Would you rather see the Trans-Siberian Orchestra or Pentatonics at Christmas time? Trans-Siberian Orchestra yeah, featuring Caitlyn Jenner. <laughs> exactly. I think about that, too. They should be really popular right now for all yeah. the wrong reasons. <laughs> they were ahead of their time. <laughs> so let me ask you. Obviously, we know we played it on 2016. What are the live stats on something like this? Uh, I'm, I mean, is it maybe you played it during the tour of the innocent man or was there a tour for the innocent man or were, an innocent man was was there there was there a tour for that one let's check it out i, I don't play, remember play the if there was music. a tour for the innocent man album i have i have the live stats but i didn't actually look at like when I'm he positive he did a nylon it. curtain tour i know that and then he did we know we did a huge bridge tour for some god knows reason but i don't know if there was an innocent man tour so that would lead me to believe if there wasn't, like if he didn't perform a lot, like a real tour in 84, 85, I'm going to say this uh, might never have been played. Okay. So there was a tour. He played it a bunch in 84 and 85 and 86. Actually, no 85. He, he, there was a tour in 84 and there was a tour in 86. 
which I guess was uh, well, 86 is the bridge. Yeah. So he was playing it on the bridge tour, actually. Oh, he was playing this song on the bridge tour. Yeah. So it, it, he played it a bunch in 84, not a ton because there weren't a lot of shows in 84, 86. He played it a lot. Right, that's what I was going to say. It wasn't a massive tour. He probably just played a couple of shows. He had a bunch in Wembley Arena and then some other things. But the, so the stats are that since 1987, he's only played it six times. And the most recent was in 2019. And the one oh. before that was that video from 2016 where the band doesn't even know how to play it. Maybe I saw the 2019 one. I don't know. And then you mentioned the Millennium concert. In that one, this song was the first song in the encore, which is interesting. Like, why? Yeah, that is interesting. Why but, save this for the end? Like, if you're saying it's the first song in the encore and the album ends with this song, why wouldn't they? Why would they end with this song and not? souvenir or piano man well i'm assuming that the album does play piano man somewhere else in the track list not that i've seen so you think that it's not on the millennium album at all i don't believe it is i mean it's been stated that this the album ends with this song and then but the concert when he recorded it clearly ended with piano man right so the encore was just this song souvenir and piano man that was it but why would you cut those out of the album i mean i mean not that you need another version of piano man but again we've talked about you're doing the 2000 millennium concert why would you end with souvenir like why wouldn't you put that on the album but we already did a whole podcast about maybe it wasn't a good version remember we were talking about his voice yeah actually because even on this song so this is so this is the end of a very long concert when you listen to the video of this song on that concert he's not really hitting the notes just right it sounds kind of off I thought maybe they would just have on the album release just rearranged the order of things, but I'm looking at it now and you're right. There is no piano man on it at all. So he just, it must've been a bad version. Yeah. I guess that's what we discovered after we were doing the souvenir episode. We just assumed he made a version because we had said after this concert in 2000, he transposed, he bought in David Rosenthal and transposed a bunch of his music to go to her lower key. So that must have something to do with it. But. Yeah, actually, it says here in the notes that this concert was the first time that several songs have been transposed to lower keys. And it mentions this night being transposed from A to G. Oh, for this concert or after this? Th- that in this concert that's being done. Now, another reason why he might have closed the album on this song is because the album disc one of this album begins with Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Ah, well, that so it bookends it completely. Sense. Okay, and All he right. actually he has Beethoven kind of throughout because later on in disc one, the tenth song is Allentown, where he includes an excerpt from the Allegro of Beethoven's Piano Concerto Number no. Five. Isn't that terrific? I'm sure the audience was thrilled. They were like, "That's the Allegro. He's playing <laughs> the Allegro." What is the matter with this guy? <laughs> <laughs>
Everyone knows what anybody wants to hear. (laughs) If you're a blue collar steel worker in Allentown, (laughs) Pennsylvania, you're a pretty big Beethoven fan. Oh, I hope he puts in that Beethoven clip. Yeah, right. (laughs) I hope he does that next time we see River of Dreams. Oh, man, that'll be awesome. Oh, man, he played the concerto. It said the Nelson again. The second encore, he played Moon River. He didn't think he was going to do it. (laughs) Bam, sock it encore. I remember one time my dad, you know, he was a coal worker down in, in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and him and the other workers got stuck in the mines for three days. They thought they were going to die, but the only thing that kept them going was that they would sing along to Beethoven's piano concerto number no. five, the emperor. <laughs> it helped them keep their humanity in those Isn't dark times. Nice? Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, Dave, it's time for the trivia portion of the show. Do you have a stumper for me? Okay, I got one for you. Billy Joel and Elle McPherson were actually both on Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve, technically, in 1999. Billy Joel played We Didn't Start the Fire, and Elle McPherson was just dancing, but on which show within a show? That she was technically supposed to be on Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve, but it was part of another show, Inside a show, so little like Hamlet the, action, a little play within a play. Action. Ah. <laughs> so it was like a, a sitcom scene that took yes. place. Yes. Friends. Yes. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's friends. That's when her and Joey kiss for the first time, and I, I thought it was weird. Like I thought they had a song like this night, but the actual song that they are about to kiss in at Dick Clark's New Year's Rock and Eve is called Next Year. By Kevin Henry, not this night, the next year. And it's a slow song where they're dancing. And I was just thinking, you know, when I was watching it now, I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, my God, this would have been awesome if they had put this night in Friends. That would have been unbelievable. And then she would have told me, you know, this song was written about me. Sure, it was. Yeah. You shut up. You You were 12 years old when this came out. What are you talking about? (laughs) But uh, she does say. Apparently, she regrets doing that uh, the entire sitcom for some reason. I'm not sure why, but she says Joey was an excellent kisser. Matt LeBlanc was a good kisser. So that's all you really want to hear if you're Matt LeBlanc. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. He should have that on a business card that he hands to ladies at the bar. Right. Meanwhile, Billy Joel was on Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve in 2014, which is pretty recent, where he was doing a show at the Barclays Center, and they went over... And he played at 12.05. Mm-hmm. You may be right. Nice. Yeah. Not sure why they didn't have him on on 2017 to clearly do seeing the lights go on Broadway, but whatever. Yeah. And also like why you may be right. It's not exactly a New Year's song. Yeah, but that's his, you know, I've seen multiple Billy Joel New Year's Eve songs and that is his go to New Year's Eve song for some reason. You know, after he sings Old Lang Syne, which he doesn't do Souvenir, which is weird, he usually goes right into You May Be Right. So it makes sense at 12.05 for him to do that song. I think that's his go-to song on New Year's. I'll let you know this New Year's when I see him at the Garden. You're doing what? (laughs) No, I don't even, I don't think he has a show this year. Yeah. I I don't know why he wouldn't, you know, like, why wouldn't he have a show? Why wouldn't he always just be there? If you have a residency, why wouldn't you always schedule New Year's Eve for Billy Joel? Doesn't Fish do a New Year's thing? God, I hope not. I think they're retiring anyway. It's over for them. 
Okay. Or maybe that was Joel the, has uh, outlived fish. Maybe that was the uh no, you know what's ending is the the dead and friends or something with uh you know John Mayer. That's ending. Maybe fish will continue. I don't know. I couldn't stand both of them, so yeah, we like we like bands that can play multiple hit songs and not just one two hour long song. Yes, yes, ones you can sing to and sing along to, you know, like Mr. Cacciatore down on Sullivan Street, across Universal from the medical lyrics. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, real lyrics you can sink your teeth into. <laughs> Is there something wrong? All right, all right. Let, let, let's just get this out in the open, okay? You're hot. Do you have a trivia question for me, Alon? I do. And my trivia question is about Beethoven, not the composer, the dog. Oh, sweet. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) This is in your wheelhouse. Yes. (laughs) The movie Beethoven, which, as you know, is about a St. Bernard dog and stars the lovely Charles Grodin, was actually written under a pseudonym by what filmmaker who created some of Dave Juskow's favorite 80s movies? It's John Hughes. That's correct. Yeah. That's, uh, I, I wonder, yeah. Isn't that funny? I mean, this guy used to just write scripts like it was like you're, you know, taking out the mail or the garbage. I mean, he, he was crazy. When you look at his list of, of scripts that he wrote that aren't technically John Hughes films, it's, it's sick. It's probably why he died early. I was, you know, just insane at like just churning stuff out. Meanwhile, there's nothing funnier than the title Beethoven's Second Movement. <laughs> I guess he ate some chili. <laughs> That's the name of the second. Epi- I think there's four. No, it's called, Be- it's, it's called Beethoven's Second. Oh, and is that what it's called? called? Beethoven's oh. Third. Oh, okay. I thought it was called Beethoven's Second Movement. <laughs> and I thought it made sense for a dog movie. What's the fourth one called? Uh, well, there's eight of them. Uh, there's eight. I thought there were only four. This is I I'm the I the only thing I know about the Dr. Doolittle, there's five of those after the Eddie Murphy ones. Then there's the Robert Downey Jr. one and the Rex Harrison one. So there's like seven. Yeah. So Beethoven's second is the only other one that was theatrically theatrically released. And that still had Charles Grodin and the whole right. cast. Then there was a seven year gap. And then they started churning them out. Beethoven's third, Beethoven's fourth, Beethoven's fifth, Beethoven's big break. Beethoven's Christmas Adventure and Beethoven's Treasure Tale. Oh, my. You know, they used to do that when I was a kid with Benji. I don't know if you remember a little poofy dog, like almost looks like Toto. And they, there was like, you know, seven Benji movies. People love dog movies. And yeah, Lassie. You know, I, I can sit through uh, both Garfields. <laughs> Tale of two kitties. <laughs> you gotta love some of those titles. Well, Alon, I I feel this could be a good parody. What do you got for us today, Weird Alon? I got to say, sometimes you really have a, a sense, like a good feeling, and this time you're wrong. Oh. Uh, no, this could be good. Who knows? So this one's called Daylight Savings Night. For our non-American listeners, Daylight Savings is a thing that we do in this country twice a year where we either move our clocks forward an hour or back an hour. Uh, I know for some and, reason with farmers. Yeah. Well, our friend Catalina who listens to the show had no idea that this was a thing. And I do a live show every Tuesday and she's like, Hey, what's, what's going on? There's no show. And I'm like, Oh, I forgot to tell you, we changed our clocks back. And she's like, what, what are you talking about? Who does that? You mean the whole town? No, the whole country, <laughs> the whole town. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Didn't I say I didn't want to switch the time back? After we do, it gets darker so soon. But here we are changing clocks in November. Because of some farmers, it is a thing we must do. Daylight savings is a real stupid thing. Tomorrow is an hour more away. This night just got much longer. Hey now. You know what's funny is this song, when it goes to that chorus, I still get excited even when you're singing it. It's so damn catchy. That Beethoven. <laughs> yeah, that Beethoven was all right. <laughs> <laughs> Good, because I was like, man, I don't know what key I'm in. but Oh, no, it sounds okay. <laughs> That wasn't too bad. Wasn't too good either. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, folks, that was this night. If you like our podcast, be sure to go to Apple and give us five stars. We release new episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss a single song. Follow us on social media at Billy Joel A to Z and give us some feedback. Do you think this song sounds Christmassy? Would you like Billy to play this live again? Eh. Should Billy have tried to get back with Elle McPherson after the divorce? Maybe. Yes. <laughs> and which Beethoven movie is your favorite? <laughs> Beethoven second. Absolutely. Everyone knows that's the best one. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. How many nights have I been lonely? I tell myself how much I really don't care